are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. been talking for several weeks now about the fact that God speaks to us, God calls us. I don't know if you think about stuff like this, but once in a while I get heavy in these kinds of thoughts. So what, what I've learned recently is that in the United States of America, that we have about 30% of the people, adults, who would say that they attend church one time a month at least or more. Only about 30%. And so I started looking at our city, and I realized that in Oklahoma City, we have just over 1.4 million people in the metro, in the greater Oklahoma City area, 1.4 million people. And and if you take 30% of that, it's about 0.4 million people. And so I just put the numbers up for you, thinking it might help to see them. This is the actual population of the Oklahoma City metro, and 30% of this number of people who attend church one time a month or more is 432,508. And it leaves about a million people in our city who would say, corporate worship is not part of my life. That's not something that I do. And so I don't know if you're thinking like me, but I'm thinking, but we're in the Bible Belt, right? This is Oklahoma. And so you would think the numbers are a little better than that, but even if the numbers are a little better, I think the point is well made. What do we do about the one million people? What do we do about the one million people who would say, this, what you're doing right here is not a part of my life? What do we do about the one million people who would say, corporate worship is not part of my week? And so you may say, well, Rick, we're here. I mean, look around. We're, we're all here this morning. We're, we're the church, you know. We're, we're the people who show up. And so what is the responsibility of the church? And when you think about all of us sitting here this morning, what's our responsibility to the one million? And so I saw a great definition of the church the other day, and I wanted to show it to you. It's from J.D. Walt, and he says, the church is the presence of Jesus in the people of God for the sake of the world. You know what he's saying, don't you? He's saying that you and I are here for the one million. That's why we exist. That's God's call on our lives. The church is the presence of Jesus and the people of God for the sake of the world. The reason that we exist, our purpose in life, is for the one million, to share Jesus with them. And so I'm going to read to you this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 4, but let me take you to 1 Corinthians 5 first, just a couple of verses. Here's what Paul says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself. In other words, we've been made right with God through Christ, but now look at the next few words, and he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. This is about the one million. So we've been made right with God. But now we're going to go focus on that one million and say, we want you to be right with God too. He's given us this ministry of reconciliation. We're therefore Christ's ambassadors. So we represent Christ everywhere we go. It's as though God were making his appeal through you and me. 
And so I've just tried all week to think about how I wanted to talk to you and what I thought the Spirit was saying to me and what I think the Spirit is saying to us this morning. And I've got it in four words. They're not my words. They come right out of the Scripture. And here we go. I think what the Spirit wants to say to us this morning is we have this ministry, this ministry of reconciliation, this ministry to that one million people in our city. So I want you to turn to somebody and say to them, we have this ministry. Would you do that right now? Now to say it is one thing. To own it is another. I, I guess what I'm asking is, do you accept that call? Do you accept that challenge? Do you believe in your heart right now today that, that my responsibility is to the one million? We have this ministry to those people. So let me take you to 2 Corinthians, okay? But before I read to you, let me tell you how we got 2 Corinthians. You remember Paul is this missionary guy, and he goes to city after city, and he talks to people about Jesus, and once they become followers of Jesus, then he forms this group, and he appoints an overseer, and sometimes he hangs out for like a year or a year and a half, and then he leaves, and he goes to another city, and he plants another church. That's what he does in Corinth. After he's gone from Corinth, he hears that there's some divisions and some things that he feels like he really wants to address, and so he writes 1 Corinthians. He's surprised because they don't really see him as authoritative any longer. They've had other people come in who are leading in a very different way, and so he, he wants to correct those things, and that's why he writes it. He, he decides that he really can work this out they don't respect him for several reasons. One, Paul is poor. You really want to follow somebody who's poor? I mean, do you want to become like the person you're following poor? He, uh, he gets beat up a lot. He's persecuted a ton because of his faith in Jesus. Do you want to hang out with somebody that's always getting beat up? And, and besides that, he's not a great speaker. He's not a great preacher. And so they begin to follow people who are kind of different than Paul. I've always said if Paul came to our church on Sunday, the chances are good that somebody would walk up to me and say, Pastor, did you meet the homeless guy that's been in the fight? I think that's what he would look like. And so Paul goes and he says, I wanna just meet with you face to face. I'm gonna travel back to Corinth. I think we can talk this out and we can be okay. He later says that was a painful visit. It didn't go well. And so he writes 2 Corinthians. And he talks about his own validity of being a minister of the gospel, and he deals with several issues. So here we go. Ready? Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since through God's mercy, would you say those next four words with me in unison? We have this ministry. We do not lose heart. Even though I'm being rejected, even though I face persecution, even though I know one day it's going to cost me my life, I'm not losing heart. Rather, we've renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. In other words, he's talking about those other leaders people are following. They're charging them a fee for their gospel. They're preaching a health and wealth gospel. They're arrogant. They're self-absorbed. Paul says, not me. I, I've never asked you for a penny. I've been bivocational all my life. I've made my own living, my own money. 
I, I preach the cross, I suffer for your sake. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. In other words, I have nothing to hide. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Now lean in. The God of this age, meaning the devil, meaning the great enemy, meaning Satan, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel. Th think really hard. Do you know somebody who is blind and they can't see the gospel? It's like a spiritual blindness. I just don't see it. The light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, and he loosely quotes Genesis 1 about creation, let light shine out of the darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Paul's words are sometimes wordy, hard to understand. So I'm gonna dig down with you and we'll see what we can learn from it, okay? I'm at a point in my life that I don't believe that culture is just drifting along by happenstance shifting and changing. Beliefs and values are being altered. And all of that is just a matter of fate. I believe that what we experience is a well-planned, strategic move of the enemy, the devil, to take the next generation further from the truth of God. Thought there might be one amen somewhere in the room over that. Oh, thank you very much. I, I do not believe, I do not believe that it's just kind of culture just kind of drifting along and we kind of drift with it. No, no, no. I believe that it's the plan of the enemy. And it's always been this way. It's why Paul says, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world. You got to keep your eyes open. You got to keep your mind sharp. You can't just drift alone, along because what is happening is the enemy has a very well laid plan, a strategic move trying to help our young people, the next generation, just kind of drift along with culture and drift further and further from God. That's what I believe. Now, I'm saying it that way. Here's how Paul says it. I read it to you a few moments ago. He says it this way. He says, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ in the image of God. Jesus is the image of the invisible God 
If you want to know what God's like, you look at Jesus. If you want to know the nature of God, you look at Jesus. If you want to know what truth is, you look at Jesus. And so you say there's this spiritual blindness. Yeah. Well, how does that happen? And Paul says, the God of this age, Satan himself, has blinded people. And they kept drifting further and farther away from the truth of God. When you think about it, is there somebody in your life who would say, I think they're just kind of blind. They just can't see the truth about Jesus. You say, I don't, I don't really know how that works. I, I think in chapter 11, he shows us how it works. Here's what he says. I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, referring to Genesis 3, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Look how it fleshes out. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the spirit you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, Paul says, it seems like to me that you put up with it easily enough. I can't tell you how many times I've had conversations and I've said to myself, you know, the Jesus you're talking about doesn't seem like the Jesus of the scripture. And the gospel you're preaching doesn't seem like the gospel of the scripture. There's so many voices today. So many people trying to get into your head. So many people talking to you. Media has made that even more possible. And Paul says there's a lot of gospels being preached, but there's really only one true gospel. There's a lot of people telling you what Jesus is like, but the scripture tells you what Jesus is really like. There's a lot of spirits out there, but you got to test the spirits. And no longer do I believe that society is just somewhat, by happenstance, drifting along. I think it's a well-played plan by the enemy to help the next generation drift further and further from truth and from God. So, When I say so and walk around, that means I don't know what's next. So are you still ready to go? You got this good news to share? We have this ministry. And you say, Rick, I'm, I'm kind of losing heart. It feels like to me that people don't want to hear and they're kind of blind. And Paul says, I haven't lost heart. And the reason I haven't is because I keep seeing people's lives transformed. Do you know there are Adam Taylor stories all over the place these days? But Paul in chapter 3, verse 1 through 3 says, do I need a letter of recommendation to tell you that I'm really a good guy and I'm preaching the truth? And then he says, I don't. You know who my letter is? You're my letter. It's a person whose life has been transformed. I remember sitting with Adam in my office a couple of months ago and him telling me what had happened and how that his life had in a second, been completely transformed and changed. 
And I said to him, Adam, it wasn't an apologetic argument that made you believe in Jesus. It was what you experienced. It's that Jesus, in a moment, changed your heart. And I love it when Adam stands up and says, how can you disbelieve in God? Paul says you don't lose heart because the validity of the truth of the gospel is a transformed life. How else do you explain a person who changes completely? So let, let me tell you Paul's story, okay? So uh, here's Paul's story. He, he is a Jew. He is a Pharisee. Means his full-time job is trying to honor God with his life. And, and he's zealous. And, and he's concerned about this Jesus that everybody is talking about and that Jesus is picking up steam and Jesus is gaining popularity and he doesn't understand it. He doesn't get it. And so he decides that we really need to make this Jesus guy just go away. All these people are kind of talking about Jesus and, and they're talking about his resurrection and, and Paul just says, we need to take care of the Jesus people. And so he begins to arrest them and he begins to persecute them. And so one day he has a great idea. He says, you know, I bet there's Jesus people in Damascus. I'm going to go to the synagogue in Damascus and see if I can smoke out any Jesus people. And I'll arrest them and we'll take care of them. And on the way to Damascus, there's a, a bright light that starts shining from heaven. He, he falls to his knees and then he's blind. He can't see anything. And, and he starts saying, who is it? Who is it? And Jesus speaks, and the people with him are amazed because there's a voice, but they don't see anybody. And the voice says, it's me, Jesus, who you're persecuting, Paul. And he says, do what I tell you to do. And he gets up, and he goes where Jesus tells him to go. And, and then God speaks to a guy named Ananias, and he goes to Saul, who later becomes Paul. And he says, I want you to, he's my chosen instrument. I want you to put your hands on him so he can receive his sight and see again. And, and just like Adam, that man Saul was transformed, who we call Paul, like in an instant. And from that moment on, he preaches Jesus. Wow. Could, could you just look me in the eye for a minute? I really don't know how to explain it. And I don't know that we have done anything to cause it. But I'm hearing story after story these days of people whose lives are being dramatically transformed by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what does Paul say? He says, I'm responsible. Let me have that slide. He says, but we are responsible, right? We're responsible to share this light we've received with everybody else. How, how do you keep it to yourself? What do you do about the million people in Oklahoma City? We, we are the, the church, the presence of God and the people of God for the sake of the one million. So, so Paul says, this is my life. I'm a servant. I, I'm, I'm just here. I'm here for the one million. I, I, was, I was at a deal the other day, and I heard this guy preaching, and 
And he said something, and I wrote it down, and here's what he says. Do we, do we want more for people or from people? Are we here to serve people? Is, is it that I just want something for you. I don't want anything from you. I'm following Paul who followed Jesus who said, I didn't come to be served. I just came to serve. All I want to do is help somebody come to know Jesus. I'm here for you. I don't need a thing in the world from you. Am I trying to fill a hole in you or am I trying to fill a hole in me? Is this about me or is this about you? I don't want anything for me. I just want something. I don't want anything for me. I just want something for you. I'm just here to serve you. So I think that probably some of you would say, you know, Rick, I've, I've gone to church all my life. And, and I've heard preachers like you stand up and scream at us on Sunday morning that we should share Jesus with people. And, and I'm not opposed. I just don't know how. I mean, I've got friends who don't know Jesus. I don't really know what to do for them. And, and I believe I can help you today. We talked about it a few weeks ago. I was with a friend named Daryl Kripe, and Daryl challenged me. He said, everybody in your congregation, everybody in your congregation can have one. And I said, one what? And he said, one person. Everybody in your congregation can have one. So we've been talking about my one. And so you know what the criteria is for one. Do you remember from a couple of weeks ago? A one, they're not a follower of Jesus. Only three criteria. They live in close proximity to you, meaning you can spend time with them. And number three, you're willing to rearrange your life for them. And so I've been challenging you to pray. God, give me one. And when I say one, I mean two or three or four maybe, but at least one. This person is not a follower of Jesus. They live in close proximity to me. They live in my city. And I'm willing to rearrange my life for that person. And you say, well, if God did give me one, what would I do with them? And we said, well, you bless them. You remember the bless? Please, somebody tell me you remember the bless, right? B, B-L-E-S-S. The B stands for what? Begin with prayer. You pray for them. L, what does that stand for? Listen to them. E, it's my favorite one, eat with them. S, serve them, because I'm here for you. And then the other S is that one day I'll share my story. This is what Jesus has done for me. So would you take the card that you were given when you came in? you have it? Were you given one of these when you came in? If you didn't get one, would you get one when you go out? And we've tried to make it as simple as we can. We've made the print so small that you have to have glasses to read it. But we've also made it small enough that you can get it in your wallet and you can carry it with you from this day forward. And I challenge you, as God brings a one into your life, write their name down on that piece of paper and then make yourself accountable to other people by saying to them in your group life or maybe just a friend or whatever, hey, tell me about your one. I'll tell you about my one. And the other day I sat down with somebody and said, tell me about your one. And they said, I took them to coffee the other day. I said, good, do it again. Just keep investing. Just keep blessing them. Just keep loving them. Just keep listening. Keep eating with them. Keep serving them. Share your story. Just bless them. And here's my dream. 
for you that one day on a Sunday morning we will come together like we did this Sunday and you're one. We'll walk up onto this platform like Adam did a few moments ago and talk about how Jesus has transformed their life. How cool would that be? That God would use you in such a powerful way because you wrote down a name and you blessed them and you became accountable to others in the way you lived life in relation to that person. Don't lose this, whatever you do. Pray about it daily. Well, some of you are saying, I need a lot of grace if I'm going to do that. Well, I just happened to have some grace with me this morning. Do you have any with you? This is God's grace for us. When, when I eat this bread in a moment and I drink this drink, I'm receiving God's grace and His help, His love, His goodness, His kindness, His mercy, His power into my life. And so I want you to stand with me, if you will. And I want you to open the bread first and prepare to receive the elements with me. It may be today that you say, I need God's grace to have a one in my life. It may be this morning that you really have somebody already in your mind. It may be that you have a son and daughter or daughter like Kathy Faulkner had Adam, and maybe this morning you really want to pray for your one. It could be that you've heard Adam's story today and you're saying, I mean, God's given me the light. God's already got my number. He's talking to me. I want to be forgiven of my sins today. I want to experience what Adam has experienced. So this is what I'm going to invite you to do. Often when we do communion, we just do it at our seats, which is fine. But if this morning you want to pray for grace, bring your elements with you to the altar and receive your elements here as you kneel along the altar rails. If you've got a son or a daughter or a grandson or granddaughter, niece, nephew, somebody that you're praying for, you want to come and pray for them at the altar today, step out. Bring your elements with you and receive them at the altar. If you want to come to know Jesus this morning, if you want to be forgiven, I invite you to come. Kneel at the altar and just pray the simple prayer, Jesus, I'm sorry. I accept the forgiveness that you offer me. I want to be forgiven. And so in these moments, just feel free to come as I'm talking. Kneel around the altars. We'll have a great time of prayer together before we go. And even during the song, if you want to come, in a few moments, you're welcome to come and pray. Jesus took the bread, and he broke it, and he said, this is my body broken for you. Eat it, all of you. Then he took the cup, and he said, this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for the ransom of many, for the forgiveness of sins of many. Drink it, all of you, and be thankful. Thank you, Father, for the gift of your Son, Jesus, 
and for the grace we all receive today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. church for what he's done can we just give him praise 
as we end our time together, just clap for our God and thank him for all that he's done. We praise you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So grateful for all that he's done. We give him thanks for all that he's leading us into. We give him thanks and praise today. As you're leaving today, remember those words. We have this ministry that the Lord has given to us because of what he's done in our own lives. We're ready to take that into the world and tell others about his great love for us. We thank you so much for being here today. You are dismissed. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.